You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. A wedding, of course, is not just two men and a woman getting married. It's also a home that the Shekhinah is going to be there. As we know, God is part of every wedding. Uh, Chazal say, so therefore, there is a, uh, we look at weddings as Kiddushin, something very holy. Now, um, obviously, that moment when the man and woman stand under the chuppah, and it's a, a moment of intense Kiddusha that creates a bond between that, that, that those two human beings. So, as Er Steinzalt says, and he's of course writing here in this book to a group of people who aren't as affiliated. He says, it's Kedusha, babe. It's Kedusha, man and woman. It's Kedusha, my children. Therefore, let the wedding be based on a tradition of holiness. And let's realize how holy all our customs are. Because don't think they're just little customs. Behind the customs are deep, deep things. Um, we all, of course, know, Steinzold says, that every we look at uh, the man and a woman as creating a new unit, something that is a yechida achat, a new unit of, one, of, of oneness. In fact, the Zohar says each one is only half of a body. In fact... If you look in the Pasuk, it says, Vayikra Shmam Adam. They were called together one being. Now, therefore, Steinzels is going to give a little bit of, uh, of an approach on weddings in general. Um, we've talked about, about Arison and Isuin and what that really means. So, therefore, uh, However, in Arison uh, today, in, in, in modern Hebrew, and I had this problem when I started teaching Gemara to uh, Israelis who were used to translating things differently. When I would say Arison, they would think it means an engagement party. And engagement parties are important. Avart are important. Because, as R. Steinzalt says, there's a you're, you're so thankful that you found your intended one. I want to tell you, and generally, <laughs> you might disagree with me, but I have found the level of simcha engagement parties among the husband and wife to be is greater many times at the wedding. Because the wedding, there's like the nervousness, is everything going right? Where's the band? Where's the music? Oh, nothing's going wrong. At the engagement party, where you don't have all that pressure, but you know this, you, the happiness of finding the right one is there, and, and, and that I think is, is a truism that that Rav Steinzaltz hints at here. Now, Rav Steinzaltz points out that it, that there are people that are makbid, and I would be one of them, not to use the Hebrew modern term erison to an engagement party. So, what you should do is use the old-fashioned. Uh, what we used to, what it's called in the Mesorah circles and, and, and Yeshiva circles, a Tanoim. Why was it called a Tanoim? Because he says, especially people come up from Europe, uh, they call it a Vart. 
which means I'm giving my word. I'm giving my word, uh, each side from the husband, uh, from the parents, that certain things they're going to commit themselves to. Sometimes a very, very uh, expensive commitment. Um, Rav Steinsholz points out that you can make a, a vart on Chalamoyed and on Pesach. And it's not a problem of Ein Ma'arvin Simcha B'Simcha because it's not really uh, a, 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 another, a wedding shouldn't be done, but you could have it during Chalamoyed. Now, um, similarly, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, during the three weeks, you could have an engagement decoration. In fact, you could even have a real Arison. Um, but a, a, a Mesibas Arison shouldn't happen. Uh, and therefore, probably what we call the engagement party probably also shouldn't happen during, during the nine days. Um, how long should you wait between an Arison and a Suen? Now, he doesn't explain why. But one of the reasons is, is because we're worried that when you declare Arison, see, he doesn't want to get into this for Steinsaltz, but Kivalevich will, will tell you what he means. Um, there's an idea that when a woman hears that she's getting married, she gets so excited that it's going to happen, or that that, that she, she becomes a nida. So we we call that Dam Chimud, blood that comes out of the passion of, oh, I'm finally going to have a man that will sleep with me. And love me. So therefore, even though she doesn't see any blood, we, we're suspicious that there might have been, she might have been a nida. So therefore, we wait at least seven days. Of course, you should actually wait more. But at least seven days are, are supposed to separate from the announcement to the wedding. There is, of course, a, a minug at the vart to break a plate. Why do they break a plate? Um... So one reason, of course, is the same reason why we break a cup uh, under the chuppah, because it's we're remembering the chorban. Another and, and part of the, by the way, when they don't really have a a real vart, that's why they break a plate. They do a new type of vart at the at the um, or they do a tnoyim at the at the chosen's table. You might remember, uh, Doctor Kogan. I think you were at Nachemi's wedding, and you might remember that we did that as well. Uh, and part of that is. Symbolic, because we didn't really have a, a, a vart or tenoyim before. But in the old days, when they really had the varts and the tenoyim, and they meant something, they'd break a plate. The second reason why you'd break a plate, not only to remember the chorban, is that the same way a broken plate, you can't ever put it back. Crazy glue, you still see the cracks. So here, too, we aren't going back from this. Both sides, the, 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 the parents of the bride, the parents of the groom, Whatever they've committed to, that commitment is solid. Usually, of course, it's the mothers who do it. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, and, of course, usually the minute is that they, together, they hold these plates together and equally smash them and, and break it. Um, as we know... Um, Based on the Psak of Rashi and others, it became very expensive. Well, because it was expensive to have Arison, real marriage, not engagement marriage, but real marriage, and then the weight of the year till the chuppah, 
in the Middle Ages, they, they combined Erisin and Nesuin. And since the time of Rashi, that's the way most chuppas have occurred. Erisin and Nesuin all together. So, um, because of that, um, there is, that's why he says the new minag is um, to write, to write a shtar t'noyim. And in that shtar t'noyim, there is uh, a fine for anybody who breaks off the engagement. And as we said, there are, of course, also various chiyuvim uh, that are involved as well. Various monies, they get a car, they'll get a house, we'll pay for their apartment and stuff like that. Um, Steintels points out, he thinks, is a good idea, that if you're only going to do this tonight at the wedding, um, you should point out that don't, and, and make it very public that there isn't any other debts or anything that each side holds. So this way, one, there won't be any Din Torah in the future. Let's say, of course, and he says, Chalila. Uh, I know what it means to break a Shidduch. I didn't break a Shidduch myself, but my son broke a Shidduch. So it is a difficult thing when it happens. But if they decide um, that the Shidduch is not going to happen, and there's already been uh, spendings that have occurred, which was somewhat the case when my, with my son's engagement. Um, you need to speak to a rov in order that everything should be done up in Torah. Um, but even more than that, there should also be a blank slate emo- in terms of clearing the plate emotionally uh, between them. There shouldn't be, and this, of course, takes counseling and wisdom to understand uh, what should be done. Uh, I'll give you a different share of the halacho, what should happen. Let's say one of the sides already spent money and what happens to the engagement ring and things like that. So um, <laughs> in a different time, we'll, we'll have a shear specifically about that, that. But I think Steintalt's basic advice here is worthwhile. Go to a rov and hopefully a smart rov and realize um, there is a way to do it. And there is a way that it shouldn't be the Hatfields and the McCoys are against each other and turn into a big family feud. There's an interesting custom that is part of my daughter-in-law's traditions and many other Sephardic traditions called the Chinna. Um, What is the Chinna? So as he points out, um, that... It's generally they 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 put a uh, a coloring on the kala's hands, uh, a brown coloring, and that what they do when they color her hands. It's supposed to symbolize the fact that she's no longer going to be a bachelorette, so to speak. She's going to be married. They also the minig is that it doesn't just be a brown stripe, the minig is is to put like a coin there on the hands, symbolizing the fact that (laughs) there's going to be money in the house. Um, Now, 
there is this idea of doing the chinna at the mikvah, which is, or by the mikvah. Because as we know, uh, we want a kala to be able to consummate, that the marriage should be able to be consummated properly. In order for that to occur, she can't be uh, menstruating, so they usually work out the kasmas in a way that the woman is not a nida, and therefore she's able to go to the mikvah. Now, many times, so there's going to be the time she goes to the mikvah before the wedding. So many times... This is her first, because this is the first time she's been to the mikvah. Virgins and young girls who aren't going to be married, they don't go to the mikvah after they're menstruated. It's only married women and kalas. So it's her first time going to the mikvah. So there is this minig that everyone goes with her. Her friends go with her. Her mother goes with her. And after she goes to the mikvah, they give out food and they do the chinah and they, they paint their hands. Of course, it's only women <laughs> that are invited to this, Steinzeit says. Some say, some actually have a meaning not to do it at the mikvah, but to do it in a special event and maybe a hall. And once again, um, they, uh, right, they, there's a special type of, uh, there's a special type of cake, the chinna cake that everybody gets and everybody gets colored hands from the chinna cake. Um, now this one, since it's not done in the mikvah, right, right by the mikvah where she just went to the mikvah. So here, um, he says there's another suda that the chassan's having at the same time. Uh, again, this is among the Sephardim, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's too bad the Ashkenazim don't have anything like this, because I think it is something special that makes the, the, the girl feel, they do have a Shabbos Kala and things like that, but you know, I, I think the Sephardim are the ones that have a uh, sort of monopoly on this. Um, one thing that's important for Steinsalt says before any marriage occurs is some sort of halachic advice uh, that they should go to a rov to teach them what married life is al piyalocha. Clearly, Steinsalt knows that in Eretz Yisrael, especially in the Israelis, that he was writing to the ones that he had so much of an effect on. He knew that he was dealing with an audience that they weren't necessarily going to be macabre all the mitzvahs afterwards, but they should know going into married life, the important ideas of Hilchus Nida and things like that. Now, one thing you need to do when, when you are guiding this young couple, um, as Steinfeld says, it's important. Don't just learn the laws with them. Um, bring to the table some questions and things that might occur that have to do with a, a commitment like this and, and what it means to have a family, not just within the, the realm of halacha. And that's some very solid advice from Rav Steinsaltz. In fact, the Rabbanut Roshit, and I don't know how much people listen to it, say that um, every kala should have some sort of training and she has to go to a madricha kalot. That and, and, and these people have a certain badge of approval that they are trained to give lessons to kalos. Um, after she uh, has her lessons, she receives a special document, like a diploma, that she has gone through the hadracha. Um, and she takes that with her 
when they go to register for marriage. There are certain religious organizations that say the chosan also has to uh, receive that before they're going to just let him go and get the marriage license and, and, and get the ksuba written. Um, now, there are chosan and kala teachers that do take money for it. I want to mention here that I was from the latter ones that, um, that I did it willfully. For many, many years, I was a, a chosan rebbe teaching the basics of Hilchas Nida, and I did it for, for a long time in Chicago, and I never took a cent. Um, but it's important that um, if you are going to get this religious training, and this is what's important, because here, here's the idea behind what Stein's also saying. You, you want to have like a religious wedding. You want the Rav who, who is the Masada Kedushan. You want to at least make that Rav know that the wedding that's going to happen is a wedding that they will live at least to try to live according to the basics of halacha. And that, and, and it's important for the, for Masada Kedushan to feel that this isn't going to be a, a, a couple that's just going to violate halacha right and left. Um, and therefore, that's why this system was put in place in Eretz Yisrael to make sure that they knew that their the couple was not necessarily from, but at least they did get some training beforehand. And by knowing in advance who the Masada Kedushin is, was he going to take the diploma of that teacher? Obviously, Steinzalt says that you should try to find whoever your teacher is. It should be someone that you have some compatibility with that you, that you feel comfortable talking to. Um, and you feel comfortable, you, you speak a common language and, and you feel comfortable in their, in, in, in their, in their environment uh, to be able to bring up difficult questions. He says, there's not enough chemistry with the madrich, then there are plenty of other people doing this. So it might be a, uh, now. Um, as we said before, uh, there are, when you come to the time of a wedding, the essential thing is that we want it to be uh, a, a wedding night where the chosen and kala can engage in sexual relations. So you have to know what her period is. Now, Rav Steinzeltz points out again the reality that this wasn't true for people when I was growing up, but in today's time, most kalos take some sort of pill that is able to rearrange their period so it should work out that they can get to the wedding. Now, it's a little more complicated than that, especially by from couples. What they try to do is to make sure that the wedding happens very close to their natural period. Because the halacha is that once a husband consummates the marriage, there's an assumption that the woman bled, that there was some bleeding. And that bleeding, although it might have been just the bursting of the hymen, but that bleeding is already considered halachically, at least with the Rabbonon, it's considered like nida blood. So once you have a gemar bia, once you actually you have a complete 
sexual act. So alpi halacha, they have to separate. It doesn't always happen in the beginning, but this is the way they take, this is what they try to work out. They try to take the pill that it should work out that close to when the wedding occurs, she's going to get her natural period anyway within a day or two. Because otherwise she's going to have to, like one period will lead to the other. Let's say she, let's say the wedding occurs at a time before, like it's a couple, a week, a week or 10 days before when it's going to be her normal period. Well, she's going to have sex if, if, they, if, they, if they are successful in accomplishing the sexual act, they have to separate. And then she's going to have to treat herself like Anita. And then she'll become Anita again with her normal period. So she might spend almost a month afterwards. She'll have one fervid, awkward sexual encounter. And then spending a month as Anita, which was very, is very difficult. Especially since the, if they were good and, and they were waiting, can you imagine what, how they feel? So therefore, they would they would try to uh, use their, you know, again get a get a wedding date, or get a when they can get a hall, and then use the uh, use the birth control pill to be able to align things. So that's really what's behind a little bit more what's behind what Steinsaltz is talking about. Um, again, he says that. Um, it's always worth speaking to a woman who's an expert in this area uh, or a man. Uh, I think there are certain medical issues in terms of taking birth control pills that obviously a person should, uh, should consult. The woman should get all the facts before they do that. Um, a lot of it is just we couldn't get the hall. Again, it's unfortunate uh, that all these medical and sociological and economic and halakhic issues, they all come together in such a way. And sometimes create a lot of stress. There are days that according to halacha, um, it's either usher to get married or there's an eitzah not to get married. Shabbos and Yontif we already talked about. Um, you're not supposed to get married on Shabbos or Yontif. However, you are allowed to get married uh, on Arab Shabbos and many weddings did occur in Europe on Arab Shabbos. Um, there are many, he says, there are people who have a custom to get married in Erev Yontif. Um, Purim, you could get married on Purim or during Hanukkah. And of course, many weddings do happen on Hanukkah. Purim might be hard to get married because of, uh, you know, because of other mitzvahs you have to do, but uh, Hasan on Purim is not unheard of. Chalamoid uh, is basically Osir, Ein Marvin Simcha Besimcha, unless um, we're talking about a man who's taking back his wife, someone who was divorced, and then taking back his wife. She didn't get married to anyone in the middle. A machzer gushoso is a, is, a, is a big Indian. It's not such a big simcha. And since it's not such a big simcha, he's just taking back a wife that he knows again. They can do that during, um, during uh, Halomoed. Um, we've talked in the past, I think this is already known to all of you, about Sirsa Omer and... Um, three weeks, or Steinsaltz does this, of course, for his audience, who probably aren't that religious and don't know Shulchan Aruch, uh, and therefore uh, he writes this down. We, we will skip it because I do want to get to some other uh, points that I think are interesting. Um, he says, the Rabbanut HaRoshit um, have certain days, and you can go on their website, he says, and find the days that you can get married. 
Um, the Rabbanut Rashid, however, added days which are not in the Shulchan Aruch. For example, they ushered making weddings on Saturday night. And the reason was because they were worried that in the hotels, the caterers, that they would start preparing things on, uh, Arab Sha- on Shabbos itself. Also, no weddings after 12 o'clock or uh, Friday afternoon because there would be Chilul Shabbos and, and cleaning up and other things afterwards. So, um, clearly this is something, and I think it makes a lot of sense, as Rav Steinzold says, if you, make sure you check with your Rav before you uh, book the hall and decide when you want the wedding. In Israel, um, every marriage needs to be registered in the, in the Rabbanut Rashid. Everyone who gets married in Israel, and this was one of the um, things that the, uh, when they founded the state, one of the things that was insisted on was that all weddings would be under the Rabbanut. And therefore, any wedding uh, needs to be registered. According to Zakono that they made, um, you you have to you have to register within no later. In other words, the latest you can register the wedding is forty five days before the wedding. Um, and I'm not sure why. You know, maybe it's because they needed to check things out. Uh, but they didn't want these shotgun weddings. They didn't want weddings that occurred on the spot. You need to register for the wedding, otherwise, you cannot get married. Um, and look, it makes sense to be prepared. I'm not exactly sure what the halachic basis is. I'm sure if there are people that are listening here, they could. Uh, I'm sure if I did some research, I could. Exp- I would be able to come up with that reason. But that is the practical halacha in Eretz Yisrael. Well, the law. Um, obviously, uh, a chosen needs to have, which was the minag, is to do kedushay kesev with a ring. Now, this ring that we're talking about, has to be owned by the chosen completely, and he has to be the only owner, because he's giving it to her. Um, there are, uh, it says in the Zohar, that w- when a wedding occurs, um, that the grandparents, the people who brought those people into the world, come to be part of the wedding. So many people have a custom before a wedding to go to the uh, grave sites of their parents and to sort of invite them. In fact, some have a custom to actually to um, to actually put an invitation on the gravesite. Um, generally, um, there is a custom among Chassidim and others. Uh, once you set the matzev up in Eretz Yisrael, not to come to visit the grave during the first year. However, uh, if it's a chosen and kala coming to invite their parents who passed away over the year, uh, nobody would have a kapeda that you, right. Again, why you shouldn't go the first year after your parent died? Uh, maybe there's a mystical reason that the grave site is too uh, psych it, it inflicts too much psychic damage. Um, there is a minute where Moshe Feinstein didn't believe there was much source to it. Uh, uh, he didn't believe that he felt it was a minute tos. 
but everybody keeps it like crazy, that the Chos and the Kala don't meet in the week before the wedding. Nashkenazim, of course, we know the idea of the Eifruf, um, uh, and um, obviously, if you can, you try to give the Chosen Mafter. And this way he reads the Haftorah. Um, and obviously, uh, usually a, Siddish, a Kiddish or something else happens about the Ofruf. Sephardim really don't get so involved in an Ofruf. They have what they call the Shabbat Chatan, which is the first Shabbos after the wedding. Um, the Ashkenazim have a kpeda when it comes to the Kala going to the mikvah, that she should not go to the mikvah um, earlier than four days before the wedding. Um, I'm not exactly sure. You know, again, it probably has to do, you know, um, uh, maybe they feel that um, you know, this is a good protection for her. Um, I'm not exactly sure why uh, they feel, let's say, if, if she could go to the mikvah, let, let her go. But they is want... it uh, Robert Kavlevich? Yes. I wonder if it's uh, similar to uh, Shavuot, the three days before. Because yeah, Shavuot is right. Like so, the, so, right the preparation. Okay, so there, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to mention it, but three days before Shavuot, the reason was, Dr. Kogan, was because if they engaged in sex relations, then the Zera that was within them, would they would be exuding that. Right, right. That, right. What that would do is that would make them into Balekriyim and they wouldn't be able. So here, um, in other words, here they actually, you know, I see it's a remez to Matan Torah. I see. Uh, but the reason why it happened in Matan Torah, technically, was for them to be Tohor 100%. This right. Kala is not sexually active. So but, going, but to the mikvah, be, but going to the mikvah isn't going to make her tummy. I'm not sexual, but she could be a nida. Right. So well, she becomes a nida, Doctor Kogan. It's too late anyway. But why? Well, if she right. could go to the mikvah, let her go to the mikvah a week before. Why should she wait till three days before? So I'm not sure why Dashkenazim have this minig. Stein's also doesn't go into it here. But uh, you know, I, I I have also known they usually do not go. Uh, even if they can, they usually go close to the wedding. I think what I would say the reason is, is, you know, I don't know why it's three days, but it, there shouldn't be this idea that a basula went to the mikvah because we don't want virgins going to the mikvah because there was, there was this idea that, that happened, that not halacha that happened. There were, there were virgins that were saying, Hey, uh, you know, I, I am menstruating, but I want to fool around with this man, fooling around with this man. I'm not married. He's not married. It's not really such a bad avera. Um, I'm not a whore, right? At least she didn't think she was. So many, and it's not kares. If I'm a nida, it's kares. So many virgins would go to the mikvah. At least it started to happen. So they made a takana not to allow virgins in the mikvah. Because we're worried that they're going to the mikvah in order that they could fool around with their boyfriends. Why would they want to fool? Why? Because this way there's no kares involved. Because in, engagement is almost like marriage. There's an in, no, right? I'm, not ta- I'm not talking about there. That's another problem of once you have engaged couples that are having sex before they're married. I'm talking about a couple that maybe not even not even planning on getting married, but right. they, they want to fool around. But they are orthodox. 
Right. You know, and, and the man knows that she's that she's a menstruant woman, and she hasn't gone to the mikvah. And she, she, even though she's not bleeding now, but since she hasn't gone to the mikvah, she has a din of anida, and he'd be of kares for for having relations with her. Right. But therefore, what he does is, they say, oh, I'll send you to the mikvah. At least this way, it's only a lav from the Torah. Maybe it's Kadesha, Maybe it's not Kadesha, but it's not kares. So this was like trying to be from and, and, and spare themselves the death sentence. So they, women started going to the mikvah. Basula started going to the mikvah. So they, they made a, a, a takana, an unmarried woman cannot go to the mikvah. Now, a cow, of course, has to go to the mikvah. So maybe in order that it should, if it be two weeks in advance or 10 days in advance, it would be scaring the, uh, the, 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 the takana that, that, that unmarried women don't go to the mikvah. But if it's already three days in advance, oh, the wedding's definitely going to take place. Then we let you go to the mikvah. So that, that might be, I'm just speculating, what might be behind. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.